0: Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and
1: welcome to episode 128 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I am your host. Marquis and today we're going to be talking about blood flow restriction and there is so much information here that we turn this into a two-part series uh, so you'll get the first part this week second part next week um, and I know some of you guys are going to be thinking well I know all I need to know about blood flow restriction training some of you might have heard about it in the past and want to learn a little bit more. And I'll guarantee you, there are a ton of you out there who have never even heard about it. There are staff members of mine that haven't even heard about this. Um, so, um, you know, today we're going to talk about what blood flow restriction training is. We're going to talk a little bit about the physiology behind it. We're going to talk about some of the indications, contraindications. Who are the right people to use this on, uh, and so much more. But a little bit of background about how I became interested in blood flow restriction uh, training. I was treating this young lady who was really having a difficult time, and um, you know it was a complicated surgery, and. Um, I, this patient is being seen by Dr. Christian Latterman, an orthopedic surgeon in Boston. He got in touch with me and said, hey, why don't we try some blood flow restriction training? I know this young lady by the name of Susie Lachowski, who just did some training down here. She's got a lot of experience with this. Um, give her a call, see what we can do. So I hooked up with with Susie, and um, I, I went through some certification through Be Strong, and she got me all set up. We started doing some blood flow restriction training on this young lady, and we saw some real significant results and changes and I had done a ton of research, you know, just wanting to make sure that this was sound and it was safe and, and that, uh, you know, it was, it was all positive and, and it was great. There was so much literature about this um, and it was so many positive, uh, you know, takes on this. So um, before we get started into our show with our interview with Susie, I would just like to take a moment here to hear a word from our sponsors.
0: Do you experience leg and foot fatigue when standing for long periods of time? A main doctor and the company he founded, Mainly Technology Group, have created a high-tech, all-terrain, chemical-free sock designed to reduce fatigue. The Easy Glider sock has a graduated compression weave to keep blood flowing and to keep you energized. Created by Dr. Lee Thibodeau, the Easy Glider is also frictionless, lightweight, warm, extremely durable, and wicks away moisture. The socks will stay fresh for days, thanks to the organic antimicrobial agent, Kytosan. Easy Glider is the only sock you'll ever need for sports, work, and leisure. To find out more, visit easyglidersocks.com. That's easyglidersocks.com. Did you know that over ninety percent of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant, a durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better faster. So, if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain, or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit easyslant.com to learn more or order yours today. Enter coupon code OEP for a ten percent discount on your first EasySlant.
1: Welcome back. Well, with me today I have Susie Lachowski. Susie has her PhD in exercise physiology. She's a director of the Division of Exercise Science at the American International College, and she's a certified strength and conditioning coach and bfrt specialist and instructor and is the new england ambassador for the be strong training system susie teaches this modality at american international colleges exercise science undergraduate program the graduate strength and conditioning program as well as the graduate physical therapy program she guest lectures on blood flow restriction training to various universities orthopedic departments and certifies individuals on the modality she is consistently using bfrt On various clinical case studies and uh, just totally, totally involved with this. I've seen Susie at work and uh, she's so passionate about blood flow restriction training. She has a great understanding. I'm sure you are all going to enjoy this episode today. Um, Susie, thank you so much for coming on the show and welcome.
2: Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you having me on and I'm looking forward to chatting with you and
1: your your listeners all about blood flow restriction training today. All right, so let's get started. Um, First of all, You know can we talk a little bit about blood flow restriction where does it come from um, and how did it get introduced into the fields of strength and conditioning and the rehab fields and and how did you personally get involved with blood flow restriction training
2: yeah no absolutely i think if i start a little bit with how i got involved with it that'll lead us into a little bit about the history of the modality Um, so about nine years ago i was in graduate school and I was uh, came across an article called Katsu, um, and it is that is the term for blood flow restriction training in Japan. Um, and this Katsu article was all about the physiological responses to this blood flow restriction training modality and all of its effects. Um, so once I read it and saw all of these positive physiological effects for exercising at such low loads and low intensities, but eliciting such Um, high positive musculoskeletal results, you know, it it kind of, I scratched my head a little bit and I said, all right, I gotta dive into this further myself. So at that point in time, I found every Katsu article I could find um, where this, where this entire blood restriction training modality was booming from, was was from Japan um, under a man named Dr. Sato himself. So that leading me into the history of it. So I kind of dug further, dug further in and then led me into the history of this training and uh, so this actually started, he discovered this idea back in 1960. He was actually in a kneeling position for uh, an extended period of time, actually at a funeral service in Japan. And when he got up at the end of the day, his legs felt like he had just given a high, he had just endured a high intensity explosive workout exercise. And he said, well, how is that possible? I was resting all day. So what, what was the alteration there? And he concluded that he must've been cutting off or restricting some sort of blood flow to his limbs. So from there, that kind of sped up his idea to experiment with this. Fast forward a few years, what, um, he actually injured his knee and his ankle in a, in a skiing accident, and he had a full-length leg cast put on. Um, so And during that time, he experimented on himself with different belts, um, you know, restricting blood flow to that limb that was injured and doing some isometric exercises. Um, when he went back for a six-week appointment, what they found was usually you need to put on a brand-new leg cast, at that point because there's just so much atrophy and so much muscle wasting but they actually found that there really was little to none and his injury his knee and his ankle were actually those spots that were injured weren't tender anymore so he didn't need a new leg cast and from there on he was like all right i'm definitely on to something so from there on brief. A uh, brief overview is for the next few decades he was experimenting with different protocols different types of devices you know tubing bands all this other stuff and perfecting what's the safest and the most um most easy to use as well as then so as i after i read that you know that history i went to my dissertation chair brought up brought everything i knew about it and i said listen i want to do a blood flow restriction uh dissertation you know a study for my dissertation It was approved, and what I ended up doing uh, about nine years ago was I put my subjects in a head-down tilt position on a tilt table um, for X amount of time, for a few hours actually out of the day to simulate what the astronauts simulate in space, and then I had them perform an exercise. Uh, regimen and with using blood flow restriction, and I measured anabolic hormone release at that point. So, my whole conclusion I wanted to be that could we apply this modality to astronauts while in space flight? As well as my biggest conclusion was this is a type of modality that should be applied to them when they're home and they're so atrophied and de- decreased bone mineral density. So, that's an overview of how I got into it, and then I kind of took it off from there um, and the history of it all, so to speak.
1: Yeah, cool. I remember when I went to your class, it was, uh, you know, obviously a very interesting history behind this. How would you say that the equipment and the technique of doing blood flow restriction therapy or training has changed in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years? I mean, you've been doing it a lot longer than I have, obviously. Um, But, you know, talk to me about some of the equipment. How has, has, you know, and let's talk about safety also when we're talking about this. Uh, Your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, so Dr. Sato was ahead of
2: everyone else's time with regards to trying all of this. So he was the one experimenting with the, you know, the, the tourniquets, the belts, the tubing, all of these other type of things. Um, see, And then, you know, be pretty much via trial and error to make, you know, what was best, what was safest, what was the most, you know, provided the best results consistently as well. However, the issue with that type of uh, issue with that was, as he was perfecting his, his system, was that it really wasn't easily accessible or readily available to others in other parts of the world. I remember eight years ago, I wanted to get one of these systems to use because it was the best one to use. And I wasn't able, you know, wasn't able to get the funding or the training or you know, at that point in time. So many of the rest of the world had to kind of do what he did and start experimenting again with elastic bands and tubing and belts and so forth and pretty much rewrite history for what he was already doing um, over time. So when you actually go out and just Google search or you just look up blood flow restriction devices, uh, you will find a multitude of devices and uh, literature out there. And it can be (laughs) some of it's good and some of it's bad, so to speak, right? So there's, there's some that are not-so-safe devices out there to use, and um, but can some of these not-so-safe devices produce some sort of positive results? Yes, that doesn't necessarily mean you should be using those devices um, in those cases. right? So I have, like, like you just stated, I had actually worked with a number of different devices over the years. So I've actually been able to do a lot of trial and error case studies and um, application with different clients. Um, over time, and the safest and the, eas- the safest to use, the easiest to use, as well as producing consistent um, positive results, is something a system that you want is something that is pneumatic and something that is elastic in nature. So pneumatic meaning you, want, you can add millimeters of mercury or some sort of pressure variable to the device so it's measurable, and then elastics meaning you want that material to have some sort of give. So when you flex and extend the you know, are not increasing the amounts of pressure to a great extent within that system as well. Um, so it's the safest to use and easiest to use. Um, a rigid system, on like such such, such as a cuff um, that really has no give, um, isn't isn't really usually the safest out there. Um, as well as if you know something that's non-measurable so for example like a surgical tourniquet you don't want to you know be cutting off or occlude the blood flow at this point so once we get it i know we're going to talk about kind of the physiology of it but the point of blood flow restriction exercise is that exactly it's to restrict it's not to occlude at that point in time so we want to make sure we're restricting so we're allowing some arterial blood flow in and restricting venous outflow, but we don't wanna completely cut off blood flow into and out of the limb completely. So there's a number of different devices out there, um, but I always tell everyone, make sure you do your due diligence on, on researching the ones, but something that's pneumatic and elastic are the ones that are going to be the safest and provide the best results.
1: Sure, sure. Now, remember, we're on a podcast here, so we can't just show everybody what these things look like or, or where you'd place these bands. So where would you typically place these bands in order to do the blood flow restriction? I know we're kind of going a little off topic, but I think it's good for the listeners to visualize uh, what this looks like and how this would be used. <laughs> that's, that's a really good question. Um,
2: you want to place these um, bands, you want to place them proximal on the limbs so if you're using the upper extremities you want to use them as proximal as possible right under the uh, the deltoid there um, right where it kind of inserts there up, up on the upper humerus the upper arm there as well as you want to do the upper thigh so pretty much as far up as you could go um, on, on you don't want to be mid thigh you want to be able to do your best at being able to elicit the full range of motion when you're doing these exercises, right? So you don't want to inhibit exercises by placing these bands kind of in the middle of a muscle belly. But those are the two places you want to place them. And I get this question a lot too while we're on it, is that, well, if I place the bands on my legs, and I'm doing you know, back exercises, how are my back muscles going to actually get the benefit? Well, the point is, you're actually gonna be restricting blood flow and the muscles that are going to be working are also going to be getting that benefit. So when we get into the physiology of it, we're gonna to talk to you guys about how it's a, how it's this huge systemic response and how everything is going to get a benefit, especially the working muscle tissues. But yeah, proximal on, on both limbs for the most part to give you a visual there.
1: Yep, all right. Um, so do you need to be an Olympic athlete or a fitness fanatic to be using blood flow restriction or, uh, can you give me a little idea of what, what is our crowd? What are the, you know, who can we be using this on?
2: That's a good question. And depending on who you ask, you're going to get different answers for that. Um, but the, so I get a question of, is this just for certain populations? The answer is no. Um, the great thing about this modality is it can be applied in most settings when done properly and safely. Um, It can be pretty much applied to most populations, um, from someone who is in the rehabilitation settings, from someone who's the aging population, um, to different types of, you know, someone who wants to improve their fitness in general, or all the way up to the elite athletes to enhance performance. You know, it's actually a very versatile uh, modality.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because ever since I started using it, I, I've been so fascinated by how it works and the physiology behind it, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. And, um, you know, also talking a little bit about, uh, you know, who you can put this on. It's amazing. Now that I've, I know a lot more about it and I've seen the benefits on just the few patients that I've used it on, uh, the significant benefits. It's like everybody who comes through the door. I just want to set them up with blood flow restriction, um, training and, you know, I know this question is going to come up, and and it's and it's okay for you as listeners to to let us know and, and ask us questions. Uh, we'll have all this information in our show notes. We'll leave uh, that uh, you know information on how to get in touch with us, so you can ask these questions. But I'm going to try to hit the question that I think you're going to ask right now. Uh, and so, you know, can can anybody can the public just do blood flow restriction training on themselves? Is that a safe thing to do? <laughs> Um, so there's a couple different answers to that
2: question. And I'm going to approach it in a couple different ways. Um, so that depends on what population and what setting you're talking about. Um, so for example, let's talk about the rehabilitation setting since, um, you know, your physical therapist and there's a lot of uh, rehab uh, listeners for the most part. Um, I wouldn't suggest to a client or a patient ever coming in who is, is is injured or is trying to rehab to just go mess around with the modality themselves, and who has no idea or this idea is so novel to them. Uh, you don't want to I- increase the risk of them injuring themselves, thinking they can do more than they can do. Um, so I wouldn't suggest it there. I would just entrust your the people you're the professionals you're working with in that setting. So uh, you know your PT, your athletic trainer, your blood flow restriction training expert. You know, listen to them and let them teach you. While they're why are they doing that? Uh, why are they applying this to you in this rehabilitation setting? So that's kind of for that rehab type of world, but um, regarding the other population, so say for example, someone who just wants to improve their fitness in general, absolutely they can use this training modality. Um, However, again, um, I suggest to consult with, if you really have no idea what this modality is, consult with someone who is well-versed in this field so you can apply it correctly to yourself to enhance your fitness levels. So if you are going to apply it to a client or a patient, so if you're a healthcare professional, strength conditioning coach, physiologist, you should definitely be certified. Um, because you want credibility, you want to be the expert in that modality at that point in time, and your patients need to know and your clients need to know, why are you, why are you applying this to me? You know, Is this safe? And you want to have all those answers. Um, so again, you should definitely be well-educated in that sense. But yes, it's kind of universal. Anyone, anyone, anyone can use this modality when done correctly.
1: Yeah, I don't think I would have felt comfortable just setting up a patient and saying, here's a blood flow restriction set and take it home and use it. Um, It really, with with my patients, it seems like it has taken three or four sessions to find this comfort level of exactly where the band should be, you know, making an adjustment on the height, maybe bringing it up, maybe dropping it a little bit uh, more distally, and or, you know, how much pressure there is there. What we've noticed is Differences in the sensation, which we're going to be talking about in the, the in part two, we talk about the sensation that you have while you're doing this, which is extremely different than just regular exercise type discomfort. And um, and so modifying the pressures, maybe in, in different cuffs, um, to adjust for that, and uh, you know, and, and understanding that. So it takes several visits to do that. And I would definitely uh, not let somebody do this on their own. I just don't feel comfortable doing that uh, until they've had several sessions, and we and we feel comfortable that the patient can apply it on themselves safely, uh, because there definitely are some adjustments to make and modifications as you go along uh, with the patient. Um, can we talk a little bit about research? There's a lot of research being done on blood flow restriction therapy. Right? I mean, there's tons and tons of articles that sometimes I, I get into it. I don't even know where to start. Um, can, you, can you talk to us about, you know, we, we talk about muscle hypertrophy and getting the muscle to be bigger and to, to get the muscle stronger. Um, can we talk a little bit about the research that backs that up and any other research that has other positive effects in regards to, you know, the, the, the body and, and physiology?
2: Yeah. No. Absolutely. So, um, we could definitely talk all day. For the most part, with with how much literature is out there and what's being what's being studied at the moment. So, there's a lot indicating how this can be beneficial, like you just said, for for increasing strength, increasing muscular endurance, enhancing body composition. Um, it's actually been shown to help some cardiovascular variables and certain um, some, some neurological variables now. So, um, won't get into to, to too much of the weeds of all of it, but. There was um, an example, to give you a good example of a good um, hypertrophy or decrease, um, the progression of atrophy study would be um, a um, post ACL reconstruction um, uh, study that was out there. There was a group that just, you know, don't do anything for the two weeks that you normally wouldn't do, and then the other the other group um, applied some pressure to the limb um, five times a week, just just sitting there, altering blood flow patterns, no exercise, no exercise stimulus added. So when they looked at the MRIs, and they did that a few times a day, five minutes on, five minutes off, type of thing, and a few times a day. Now, when you looked at the two-week MRI scans, um, the experimental group lost about 9% of their quads whereas the control group who had no alterations in blood flow patterns or any of this uh, applied had lost about 21% of their quads. So the experimental group just by sitting there and applying this different amounts of pressure to alter blood flow patterns is actually able to save over half their muscle mass at that time. So that was that's a good one to use for, for an example and I think this will probably start to lead us into, into the physiology of what you'll wanna know next.
1: And when you, when you say they did an MRI, that MRI was there to measure cross-sectional area of the, of the musculature in the thigh, correct?
2: Correct.
1: Okay. So like uh, quads, hamstrings and all right, cool, cool. So that it wasn't just, uh, just size or increased, uh, you know, uh, water weight or increased fat or anything like that. It was looking at muscle size,
2: specific muscle, muscle size. Yep.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, okay. Here's the big question. Everybody's going to want to know about this. And this is a tough one because, you know, I I took a seven hour course with you (laughs) and it's very complex. It it can be complicated, especially for somebody like me who doesn't have a strong physiology background. Um, You know, I have my BS in, in PT. Now people are graduating with their DPT degrees and they're doing a lot of physiology. My daughter's a third year PT student, right in the mix of the physiology, doing so much more stuff than we did. Um, way back when and uh, it's been a long time so um, you know how does this work can you explain to us in a nutshell and that's going to be difficult but in a nutshell how does the the physiology behind blood flow restriction training work Um, Mm -hmm. can we make this understandable for the public and for for our listeners and Mm -hmm. um, you know hit it And, and if people have questions they can certainly get in touch with us before the next show and we can try to answer those also Yep, yeah, absolutely. This most likely will be probably my lengthiest
2: answer for you. But I do want to, like you said, I want to put it in the most basic of terms so that everyone can really understand what is occurring. So someone might, like you said at the beginning, oh, yeah, I've heard of blood restriction. But then some people who are so novel to this idea is like, well, that can't work. That's got to be dangerous type of thing. So when you actually sit back and learn about the physiology of
1: what's happening, it all makes sense from a musculoskeletal point of view. And I'm going to Sorry. stop you for a second only because like when I first got started into this, the first thing that went through in my mind was like, Oh my gosh, this isn't safe. And then my wife who's a physical therapist. When I explained all of this to her, she's like, ah, this isn't safe. And she's a physical therapist. And my daughter was a PT student. She's like, we can't do this. This isn't safe. And now that I've looked at all this and you've explained it, it's it, it brings it all to light and it's, and it does make sense. And it is very safe. So I'll have you continue with that. Oh, absolutely.
2: And don't the, the last you know since i've graduated i've you know and i've been dealing with this i i I meet that type of resistance all the time and i still do um so i'm like hey you know what just let me best lecture for you we'll talk about it i'll show you the modality i'll show you the research and we'll do it ourselves i'll bring out the doppler all these other things to show you certain things and then once you sit back and learn about the physiology everything adds up and it makes sense um so we're going to start with um just you know for example, not spend too much time on it, but just to get you in that mindset um, with strength in general um, from a traditional sense. um, We're gonna talk about that really quick because this is gonna help you really understand that physiology of what's going on with the blood flow restriction training right? So just stick with me for, for, for a minute. So in order to increase strength and hypertrophy, let's just stick with that for now, of your muscles. We know you need to progressively overload that muscles using the principle of progression, right? So we usually need to lift heavy weights to see increase in strength gains and so forth for to, to a greater extent, right? So you want to progressively increase the weight lifted. So for a review we have three three muscle t- major muscle fiber types right that make up a whole muscle and they're all mixed in with within a big muscle itself we have our type 1 our type 2a and our type 2b muscle fibers so in general the fiber types that respond best to an increase in strength and hypertrophy are those type 2b muscle fibers all right and those are the ones that we want to activate however they're also the hardest to activate so when we talk about type 1 type 2a type 2b type one muscle fibers are very small in diameter. <clears throat> they have a small alpha motor neuron, you know, related to them. So they're the ultimately they're the easiest to activate and our body likes the path of least resistance. So we're always gonna activate those first and then our type 2A and then our type 2B. However, our type 2B muscle fibers are much larger and they have a bigger alpha motor neuron associated with them. So it takes a lot more like of a load or force in order to recruit those. So usually when we're recruiting those, we're, we're, we're lifting heavy weights. So anywhere from seven, you know, 65, 70, 80, 80% of our one rep max, we need in order to recruit those, those bigger muscle units, right? So, but the problem is, is what we are talking about, that's why we're here today, is that not many populations can lift heavy loads and can exercise at very high intensities to activate those type 2b muscle fibers so how can we do that and blood flow restriction training is the answer um so like i said the ones that respond most to strength and hypertrophy are those type 2b muscle fibers so we got to somehow try to activate those in order for us to increase protein synthesis strength hypertrophy because we want those muscle fibers to respond to get stronger and increase muscular endurance and all that Okay, so now that we've kind of did that quick review, it takes a lot to really activate those. So we gotta lift heavier weights, but like we were talking about a lot of populations, sometimes the aging populations, an injured population, or just people in general don't like exercising at extreme high weights or high intensities, right? So how can, but they need to increase strength and muscular endurance. So how can we do that? And how can we activate those type 2B muscle fibers that are gonna give us that increase in strength more so than anything? Um, and like I said, blood flow restrictions is, is, is pretty much one of those modalities that's an answer out there for us. So the goal for blood flow restriction training, again, to reiterate is to allow some arterial blood flow into the limb, but to restrict venous outflow. Again, we don't want to include, occlude. So we want to lift very light loads. So normally if we are lifting 70% of our one rep max, we want to look at about 20% of that right? So we actually are lifting very, very light loads, but by altering blood flow patterns, we're going to see the same physiological benefits as if we were going to be lifting those heavy weights, right? And here's how. So as we restrict blood flow to the limb, we are decreasing the amount of oxygen nutrients that are coming to the area that our muscle fibers need in order for us to keep exercising, right? And those type one muscle fibers that are recruited first love oxygen and those type of nutrients to work off of. So since we're restricting nutrients, those type one muscle fibers are going to work, but then poop out very quickly, right? So then what's next? Based off of size order principle, we have to tap into the type 2A, type 2B muscle fibers in order for us to keep exercising. So as we keep exercising and different muscle fibers are getting tired, those larger order muscle fibers are going to be activated. So then as metabolic waste builds up, um, as because again, we're restricting blood flow, we're creating that pooling of that blood within the limb itself. So we're restricting clearing the waste products. And when we restrict clearing the waste products, we have to activate more muscle fibers to keep exercising. So before you know it, you're pretty much going to activate your entire limb and then you're gonna get all these muscle fibers involved. And then again, those are the ones that are exercising that are gonna to respond to strength and hypertrophy. So all in all for the most part what you're actually really doing is you're actually tricking your body into thinking you are lifting very heavy weights or exercising at very high intensities but you're actually not you're actually lifting very low loads with higher repetitions but eliciting the same physiological responses as if you were so what's going to happen from there is as blood cooling increases you have the metabolic waste building up things such as lactate and hydrogen is building up in that muscle belly that is dramatically decreasing your pH within the muscle. So you're creating what's called a metabolic crisis as you keep exercising. And this is what happens during high intensity exercise. So when you create that metabolic crisis, this neuro hormonal response is gonna occur. So it's pretty much gonna say, "Well, we need some help down here. So a drop in pH signifies the brain to say, hey, I need to release all this growth hormone. So they're going to surge out this growth hormone which is going to then activate igf1 downstream and to to remind you about growth hormone and igf1 these are our two major anabolic hormones and these are the two hormones we need surge systemically in order to help us increase the rate of protein synthesis um, cellular repair and all of that other stuff so that is one way we activate all of that so we can actually increase the amount of protein synthesis occurring so And the same same thing happens in high-intensity exercise as well as this now. So we've actually done the same thing, but we're lifting very low loads um, compared to that. And uh, the the last thing I'll say about that is since we aren't loading the body so heavily, you're not inducing as much or to a greater extent mechanical damage. So you're not going to have as many micro tears as you normally would. Say I wanted to do a heavy squat day at 80% of my one rep max. I'm going to get a lot of that delayed onset muscle soreness, that pain that comes those next couple days. Um, But with blood flow restriction training, since you're using such low loads, you're not inducing as much mechanical damage. Well, there'll be some, yeah, there'll be some mechanical damage, but nothing nearly as what it would be as if you were lifting high loads. So the benefit also to this is that you can actually do this much more frequently throughout the week versus one day a week or two days a week. So that's kind of the physiology of it in a nutshell. I know myself, I could talk probably forever on that, but that is hopefully gives you a good overview of how we're activating those type two muscle fibers and this neural hormonal connection in order for us to increase the rate of protein synthesis so we could increase strength and hypertrophy of those muscles.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, and, you know, it's uh, it's interesting because you say, you know, we, we're trying to decrease the nutrients getting to the area. We're trying to decrease the oxygen getting to the area. And, and you know, in therapy, we always talk about, how do we get more oxygen to the area and more nutrition to the area so it's kind of like you know it, it sounds conflicting but it's not and and you know one of the things we look at with this this compression that happens at the proximal I'll use my arm uh, for example so if I take that compression put it around my proximal humerus um, I'm getting a little less blood flow getting into my arm but you're getting this metabolic reaction that is that is doing its thing and working and and people say well you know it, you know we're stopping this blood flow is that a good thing and then and you know if we take a look at people who have surgery you know people who have elbow surgery people who have knee surgery and they have total occlusion of that that limb for a long period of time it could be you know several hours at a time that's complete occlusion you know talk to us about you know um about blood flow restriction you know it's it's not we are restricting it not occluding it correct
2: Correct. Absolutely. Um, so there is, you know, some research out there talking about occlusion and how it can be beneficial, but you know, you know, that's going to, you know, decrease the safety of the modality. We again, want to restrict, um, for safety and, and the, the most positive result. Um, well, you said you're decreasing the oxygen nutrients to the area. However, just let's just compare it to a tourniquet for a second. How is giving you, giving you an example of getting your blood work done so when it doesn't it's not like that where they completely want to occlude but think about the release of that what occurs is something called you know reactive hyperemia we get that surge of blood flow to the area then so a similar thing happens with blood flow restriction training after you do take off the bands you are getting a surge of blood flow and oxygen nutrients to the area so that's where you're going to actually enhance those nutrients being brought to the area. So even though you're restricting it during that task itself, you're actually gonna get that added benefit and even a much bigger surge to the area since it was being restricted. Um, But um, So to to talk to you about what you were just saying about occluding, exactly, you don't want to occlude, we want to restrict. So the goal is to restrict, but not not to cut it off because we don't wanna increase the risk of um, endothelial damage, Peripheral neuropathy, skin neuropathy, you know, skin skin damage, and all of that other type of stuff. So, with an elastic pneumatic type of device or a, or a band, um, the proper system is very key, right? So we don't want to occlude. So, for example, um, the B Strong Band system um, is a pneumatic and an elastic system. So they have actually been engineered in such a way that even if you pump up this band to 500 millimeters of mercury which seems very, very high, there is still going to be some arterial inflow as well as some venous outflow of that muscle, right? So it will be restricted to a greater extent if we were to pump it up that high, but it will still not completely occlude the limb. So this is and can be demonstrated actually multiple times utilizing a Doppler to show, for example, the brachial artery blood flow. And you can actually pump up the device and actually see that there's still some arterial inflow as well as when you contract there's some venous outflow, which is exactly what you want. Um, Dr. Jim Strait Gunderson and Sean Whalen have actually developed these pneumatic and elastic bands to ensure um, uh, safety and ease of use to, to pretty much to the greatest extent. Now however, not all devices are created equal like we touched upon before. A rigid or a non-elastic system can occlude that blood flow at very low pressures um, being applied to the limb. So even if one is exercising below that limb occlusion pressure where it would normally be cut off, as one flexes and extends that arm, you will still be partially, you know, you're pretty much be occluding it here in and out all the time during that exercise regimen. So again, you just want A device that's going to be the safest and easiest to use um, because you don't want to increase the risk of some sort of uh, cardiovascular endothelial damage at that point.
1: Great. Um, And I think it's important that people understand, you know, that this is safe if utilized appropriately Um, and uh, you know Wow. There's so much information there. Um, you know, the good thing about podcasts is that you can rewind this, you can listen to it whenever you want. You can break it down. Um, and it's there, it's evergreen. It's going to be there for a long time. So, um, you know, there is a lot of information here, but you can always go back, listen to it again. And, um, you know, and, and, that will be, that will be helpful. I've done that several times with several podcasts myself, just to make sure that I'm getting the right information, um, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing. So, um, I want to thank you Susie today for, for helping me with this. Um, you know, I, I bring people on who are so much smarter than me because, uh, you know, I have my little niche. I, I do orthopedic stuff and I'm, I'm good at that. Um, but you know, when we get to the physiology and, and topics of this sort, uh, I really appreciate, you know, people coming on and uh, giving me their their knowledge and, and all that information for everybody out there. Um, so thank you, Susie, for uh, for coming on to the show.
2: Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. I, I greatly appreciate you having me on and, and starting to talk about uh, blood flow restriction training.
1: Now, Susie, if somebody has a question for us before the before next week's show, uh, because we're going to be doing a part two to this, um, how could they get in touch with you? I you, I have all my information in the show notes, but uh, how what's the best way to get in touch with you? um uh feel free to you can email me um i'm definitely i'm
2: up on the american international college website and my email is up there under excite science which is susan.lachowski at aic.edu or uh, my personal email which is suzq229 at gmail.com feel free to 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 email there as well Um, i'm happy to answer any questions um, along the way and and chat with anyone if you do email me and prefer a phone call i'm happy to do that and set that up with you you as well
1: All right, great. Well, that's going to conclude part one of our blood flow restriction training podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode where we will be talking about blood flow restriction training, what it feels like, which is an interesting sensation, and um, how to use it with exercise programs and much more. If you have any BFRT questions, be sure to send them my way or to Susie uh, before the next episode. We'll do our very best to uh, answer those questions. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, answered everybody's emails. Uh, I really try to make it a point to do that every week. uh, And that's a daunting task, but um, please keep sending your questions. And and if you have questions that are not just related to BFRT, but you have other questions about orthopedics, make sure that you send them to us and we will put them on the show and do our best to answer them. If you're interested in in more information about uh, blood flow restriction and the Be Strong brand, make sure you click the link in the show notes and um, along with that will be uh, Susie's information. Now, we have a little surprise for you. We're leaving this for the end of the part two program that we have coming up, so make sure that you don't only listen to this one, but you listen to the next one right to the end and uh, we're gonna have a little treat for all of you who are listening to our show. Um, But in the meantime, folks, uh, these are trying times with this COVID-19. Um, it's it's a challenge. This this disease uh, this this virus is affecting everybody in one way or another. And um, I want you to make sure that you stay safe. You check on your neighbors and uh, try to stay as healthy as possible. Uh, I wish you all a great day and uh, till our next episode. Um, I wish you the best. Take care.
0: We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content. Go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.